Hello, America. Welcome to Cry Let It All Out with Sweet D, Sweetness, Cry, or Darren, whatever you like to call me. Uh, glad to be here, America. Missed you so very much. We're doing uh, the last chapter in The Killing of Tupac Shakur by Kathy Scott. It's chapter 13, The Eulogy. Let's get started. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Uh, Let's hear about Tupac, the greatest rapper that ever lived. Since his death, Tupac has been called the Black Prince, a revolutionary, an icon for Generation X. Yes, a hip-hop Lazarus, a brother for black America. Some see only the tattoos and the jewelry, the body language as a way of describing him, or the angry words and the defiant messages. They can't get past his persona. Still, others see Tupac as the young Malcolm X, speaking for young black America, the voice they couldn't find for themselves. And others see him as the most talented singer ever in the rap music industry. Yes. Too many Tupac Shakur, too many, Tupac Shakur was a figure of violence who became a victim of the same violent gang culture he glorified, shot down on the streets of Las Vegas in a gangster-like killing. Those who knew him best saw him as a force moving toward the truth, cut down before he could mature and reach his full potential. Before he had a chance to come into his own, he was young, not yet matured, they said. They felt his anger, his frustration, his pain. They have called him the 90s Elvis, or John Lennon, or Jimi Hendrix, or Jim Morrison, or Sammy Javis Jr., or any other famous singer who was also a symbol of something bigger than himself. To me, I feel that my game is strong, Tupac told Tony Patrick. I feel as though I'm a shining prince, just like Malcolm, and feel that all of us are shining princes. And if we live like shining princes, then whatever we want can be ours. Tupac considered his music spiritual, like the old Negro spirituals, except for the fact that I'm not saying we shall overcome, he explained. I'm saying we are overcome. Many people believe Tupac was a promising talent who wound up a casualty of a society that destroys African-American youth, males in particular. It's not just a belief among many that the black man in America today is an endangered species. It's based on actual statistics. If the drugs don't get them, the violence will. And if the violence doesn't get them, the cops and the justice system eventually will bring them down. Writer Kevin Powell elaborated, There's a perception in the black community that if you're young and black and male and happen to be making lots of money, you are vulnerable to the attacks from the system or the powers that be. You know what I think? E-40, a San Francisco rapper who once recorded with Tupac Aspen magazine? Tupac is looking on down on us saying, Y'all don't know what you're missing up here. We, the ones in hell. The killing of Tupac heightened the debate about whether gangster rap promotes violence or is just a reflection of the ugly mood on the streets. A dark aura of violence looms over the hip-hop music industry. To some, Tupac, with his tattoos that promoted firearms, had it coming. To others, Tupac's songs spoke against the gun culture of the ghetto. And young niggas, he said, 
don't want to be another statistic out here doing nothing, trying to maintain in this dirty game. Keep it real, and I will even, if it kills me, my young niggas stay away from those dumb niggas. Put down the gun and have some fun, nigga. After Biggie Smalls was shot to death, Quincy Jones, who would have been Tupac's father-in-law had he survived, wrote in Vibe magazine, When will it end? When will the senseless killing of our hip-hop heroes cease? I thought Tupac's death was going to be the end of it, but the psychodrama keeps coming, going. The murder of Christopher Wallace is the latest in what is becoming a pathetic string of deaths in and around the rap community. And the speed with which the media turned this unnecessary tragedy into evidence of a rap war, a slave revenge, makes me worry that we haven't heard the last shots ring out yet. I love hip-hop. So do I, Quincy. To me, it's a kindred spirit to bebop, the music that started my career. But I also know history. The gangster lifestyle that is so often glorified and heralded in this music is not keeping it real. It is fake, not even entertainment. A sad farce at best and a grim tragedy at worst. Real is being shot five times with real bullets. Real is having a promising life ended at 24 years of age by somebody you might call brother. If that's keeping it real, it's up to all of us to redefine what real means to the hip-hop nation. Ultimately, love is real. In a prepared statement the day after Biggie's death, Quincy Jones said he was absolutely stunned. This death, as well as the death of Tupac Shakur, Easy e from AIDS, Marvin Gaye, and so many more young people who were never heard about are senseless acts that should never have happened. I spent my formative years growing up in Gangster Central on the south side of Chicago, so I'm no stranger to random violence, he said. If life continues to imitate art this way, it will result in self-inflicted genocide. We all need to reevaluate what our priorities are, else we have nothing to look forward to except more of this madness. He said he had developed a close personal relationship with the superstar rappers over the last 10 years. It's witnessing their genius and compassion that makes me makes incidents such as these particularly disturbing to me. No former funeral service was held for the slain rapper. This was at the request of his family, who said he would not have wanted one. In fact, the family told reporters that Tupac had talked about his death and had specifically stated that he didn't want a funeral if he were to die. He told friends when he was in high school that when he died, they could snort his ashes and get high off him. His mother took his ashes home to Georgia to the house Tupac had brought for her through death row. Later, she scattered them over a neighborhood park in L.A. But spontaneous celebrations of Tupac's life were held all over the country. Friends remembered Tupac at the Civic Center in Atlanta, Georgia, shortly after his death. They called it Keep Your Head Up, the celebration of Tupac Shakur, a three-hour tribute of speeches, poetry, reading, dance, and music. I know people are sad, but I am here, and we are here to celebrate Pac and continue on with the spirit, of Fanny Shakur said of her son. Shark G and Money B, Money B, members of Digital Underground, where Tupac's professional music career began, issued a statement after Tupac died. 
If you want to mourn, do it for your own personal loss, they said. Don't mourn for Park. Remember him for his art, and don't be sad for his death. Park lived a short, fast, concentrated, and intent life. He lived a 70-year life in 25 years. He went out the way he wanted, in the glitter of gangster life. Hit records on the charts. Mo new movie in the can. Money in the pocket. All Park wanted was to hear himself on the radio and see himself on the movie screen. He did all that and more. Tupac was also mourned at his boyhood church, the House of the Lord Pentecostal Church in Brooklyn, New York, where he joined at age 15 with his mother and sister. Tupac left Brooklyn in his teens, but was still listed as a member of the congregation until his death. Who will we for Tupac Shakur, the Reverend Herbert Daughtry, asked mourners at the memorial service. I will weep for Tupac. I will weep for all our youth. He had the genes, he had the ability. Could we have provided the society that would have made him blossom? Daughtry's had said that Tupac's self-proclaimed ambition to be a revolutionary against injustice to blacks was just as well as Martin and Malcolm's, referring to Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. I know that there are those who say he went about it the wrong way, joining the gangster culture he glorified in his lyrics, Daughtry said, but it's not for me to judge. Michael Gilmore, in a Rolling Stone article shortly after Tupac's death, wrote that he sus suspected Strickor's death would be cited as justification for yet another campaign against hardcore rap and troublesome lyrics. So a man sings about death and killing, and then the man is killed. He wrote there is a great temptation for many to view one event as the result of the other. And in Tupac's case, there are some grounds for the assessment. He did more than sing about violence. He also participated in an affair amount of it. As Shakur himself once said in words that Time Magazine appropriated for his headline covering his murder, what goes round comes round. Still, I think it would be a great disservice to dim dismiss Shakur's work and life with an quick glib headline summation. It's like burying the man without hearing him. The rap writer Kevin Powell seemed to put it in perspective when he eulogized Tupac in the same issue of Rolling Stone. He was a complex human being, both brilliant and foolish, very friendly and deadly serious, friendly and eager to please, but also had but also bad tempered and prone to violence. A lover of his people and of woman, but also a peace divider and a convicted sex offender, generous to a fault, but also a dangerous gambler when it came to his personal and professional life. Incredibly talented, but at times frivolously short-sighted. To me, Tupac was the most important solo artist in the history of rock. Not because he was the most talented, he wasn't, but because he, more than any other rapper, personified and articulated what it was to be a young black man in America. But the demons of Shakur's childhood, the poverty, the sense of displacement, the inconsistent relationships with his mother, the absence of a regular father figure, haunted the rapper all his life. In his song, Dear Mama, he sings, When I was young, me and my mama had beef, 17 years old, kicked out on the streets. Now that Tupac is gone, some will change that. It was the music that killed him or that he had it coming because of the choices he made in his life. Those are cop-out, knee-jerk responses. Shakur, in spite of his bad boy persona, 
was a product of a post-civil rights, post-Black Panther, post-Ronald Reagan American environment. We may never find out who killed Tupac Shakur or why he did the things he did and said what he said. All we have left are his music, his films, and his interviews. Shakur lived fast and hard. He has died fast and hard. And in, in his own way, he kept it real for a lot of folks who didn't believe that anyone like him or like themselves could do anything with his life. He's an entertainer, not a gangster. As a person, Tupac is very misunderstood. Keisha Morris, Tupac's ex-wife, with whom he remained friends, told People Magazine while he was in a coma. I'm still waiting for Tupac to call me, she later told Rolling Stone Magazine. I thought he was going to walk out of the hospital just like he did before. At the end, you kind of had the feeling he was going to die, according to his preaching, writer Tony Patrick Sagan, thug and mortal. He seemed to have taken up power and weapons, this posse lifestyle, as his deity. Tupac went from one extreme to the other. There was really no middle ground with him. He was age without maturity, knowledge without wisdom, order turning to chaos. Tupac Shakur stand as a living testament in hip-hop nation as the pinnacle of greatness achieved, but at the same time the frailties of human weakness and tragedy. His stepfather, Matulu Shakur, wrote a letter to my son from inside of Florence, Colorado, Federal Penitentiary the night Tupac died. Excerpts were reprinted on the World Wide Web by Double J Productions. I love you whenever, forever. Tupac, so much I needed to say, so much you wanted to say. Many conversations between us within the ether. The pain inflicted that scattered your soul, but not your spirit gave force to the rebellion. Many couldn't see your dreams or understand your nightmares. How could they, Tupac? I knew your love and understood your passion, but you knew of your beginning and saw your end, racing towards it. You taught and fought through your songs and deeds, rat-tat-tat of words penetrating the contradiction of our existence. Who cares? We care, Tupac. The Shakurs have been guided by struggle, prepared or not, whenever, forever. We've exposed our existence, naked from fear, to those who would hear the positive, who would witness the stress, wear and tear of this lonely path. You couldn't have evaded the effect of the changes. You inherited it. It was in your genes. Friday the 13th didn't mean anything. Life is for living and dying well. You understand the pain of disappointment in the ones we love. You pushed so many away, burnt so many bruises so they wouldn't follow you into battles against the demons you were facing. Knowing well to what lengths you would go, this battlefield of reality is littered with many meaningless casualties. You never yelled out, somebody save me. You only asked for your soul to be free whenever, forever. You told us to keep our head up, knowing the pain was coming, knowing to look for strength in the heavens. Set your soul free, Tupac Amaru. The victories we will teach your mission. We are thankful for you. We love you, Tupac Shakur. We ain't mad at you. We'll be better because of you. So now I give you my tears so I might assimilate your loss and I can live on in peace. Knowing I will feed your spirit with my unconditional love, knowing you will need it on your next journey. May Allah bless you for your deeds and forgive your errors. Tupac, come to me and give me strength. 
Love always, your father, friend, comrade, Matulu. Billy Garland, Tupac's real father, said in an exclusive interview with Kevin Powell for Rolling Stone magazine that his son didn't deserve to be criticized. My son is dead. He doesn't deserve to be talked about like some common criminal. Yes, Garland said. He wasn't perfect, but he did do some great things in a little bit of time. And finally, Tupac Shakur's mother, Afeni, spoke about her only son. Tupac has always been the person who's made up the game, always, she told Vibe magazine before his death and after one of Tupac's many court arraignments. He would have make-believe singing groups. He would be Prince or Ralph a New Edition. He was always the lead after his death, she told a Vanity Fair reporter. From the moment he was born, I measured his life in five-year periods. When he was five, I was so grateful. When he was 10, I thank God he was 10. 15, 20, 25, I was always amazed he survived. He was a gift. The killing of Tupac Shakur remains unsolved. So that's the end of the book, The Killing of Tupac Shakur by Kathy Scott. Um, in the appendix, they have the official coroner's report for you to look at as well. Let's see about the author. Kathy Scott is a full-time police reporter for the Las Vegas Sun, a reporter for over a decade. Scott has received more than a dozen journalism awards. Her articles have appeared in the Los Angeles Times and the New York Times. Scott covered the Los Angeles riots, Operation Restore Hope in Somalia, and the Republic of Panama's drug interdiction program. She holds a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of Redlands. Okay, so let's talk about this book a little bit. I don't know. I think Tupac was killed, um, unfortunately, by um, his own kind. Um, I think... It was jealousy. I think it was a bad thing. Biggie, I think, was killed by his own kind, too. Could be gang-related. Uh, could be um, maybe the government uh, wanted Tupac and Biggie killed. But it was a tragedy. Tupac was, to me... A black icon. He was a prince. He was the greatest rapper that ever lived. And number two was Biggie Smalls. When they came out, it was like a celebration for black America. They both stood strong in their beliefs. They both uh, had an excellent rap style and rap flow. They did everything to me perfect they did everything to me perfect um i uh missed them so very much i don't know how anybody could kill them i don't know how anybody can kill anybody black on black crime is so prevalent in the u.s right now and i just want to say to my young black youth and to 
put down the guns. Let's not kill each other. We're killing our own race off. Um, no other race does this but us. So I don't know um, how we can continue doing this. Listen to Tupac's music and you will see he's the greatest rapper that ever lived. Look, Listen to Biggie's music and you will see that Biggie is the greatest rapper that ever lived. I wish they could have did music together, more music together. Um, wanted to see Tupac act in more movies. He was a great actor, Poetic Justice, Gridlock. Juice, uh, where he first came out. Uh, so we want to remember him for his great talents and all the attributes he gave to the black community. We want to stop the violence because of Tupac and Biggie's death. We want to remember them. We don't want to forget them. So I just think whoever killed them should go to jail. And I'm big on that. I think whoever killed Biggie should go to jail. They they were so big and nothing happened to the people that murdered them. That is unbelievable. I don't know why we're not still investigating this case. It's important to find out who killed them. I think it will help black America. Black America, we had two of the greatest men ever perform in rap history. They did so, they were so generous. They did so much for rappers and other rappers in the industry. And all these rappers that have money now wouldn't have all the money they had have if Tupac and Biggie were, were alive. And I believe Tupac and Biggie would have did more for the black community than a lot of other rappers do. Um, we need to look out for each other. We need to be there for each other. We need to not forget where we came from and who we are. So I'm gonna um, get into, before I finish this podcast, I want you to know the next person we're doing is Michael Jackson, uh, one of the greatest entertainer that ever lived, Michael Jackson. Um, on this podcast, you will hear uh, stories about Aretha Franklin, Nipsey Hussle, DMX, Aaliyah, Whitney, Houston, Luther Vandross, Marvin Gaye, Bob Marley, John Lennon, um, John F. Kennedy. 
you will hear so many artists. Tina Turner just recently passed away. So we must do Tina Turner. You will hear all about the greats in this in this music business. I want you to remember that Tupac and Biggie, um, the tragedy it was, didn't shouldn't have died that way. And not finding the killers is a big mistake. I'm going to get into this paper by my cousin, Trent Korzynska. It's a paper about the Rastafarian movement, black empowerment. I'm going to finish it, the paper. I'm going to finish the paper. Um, next podcast, we'll do the Rastafarian movement of black empowerment, and we'll talk about Michael Jackson, uh, the greatest entertainer that ever lived. Michael Jackson did so much for black America, and I would like to see more of the people in power and with money in black America do for black America. We got to give the money back to ourselves. We got to do it for ourselves. And anybody that wants to help, please do. Okay. Oh, that's home. I'm sorry, uh, America. I hope you like the podcast. I hope you're enjoying it. It's really been great for me to do it. And um, listen to my radio show. It's called 1991- It says 28 years, but I realize I've only been doing radio for 20 years. So it's 1991-20 years, Sweet D. It comes on Saturdays at 9 p.m. on WMFO.org. It's from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. And there you will get to listen to rap, reggae, and R&B. And I'll have a great time playing music for you and DJing for you. So listen to my show on WMFO.org, 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Saturdays. It's called 1991, 20 Years. Trying to get to the first page of the Rastafarian movement. I'm going to go out with that. Uh, Interesting topic. Trent Korzynska is my cousin. He goes to UMass Boston. He's studying IT. Let's see what he has to say about the Rastafarian movement. He's graduating uh, this year, senior. He'll be uh, going off to get a great job, a fantastic job. Now, if I can find this, I'll go out with one page of the Rastafarian movement, reggae. Some Rastafarians are Bob Marley, Damian Marley, Stephen Marley, Capleton, Sizzla, 
Bujubantan, and it was founded by Marcus Garvey. And uh, Marcus Garvey is from Jamaica, and he was a black leader. I can't even find the first page. What is going on? Well, I'm going to end the podcast here. I'm sorry. We'll hear all about the Rastafarian movement next time. Know that I love you, America. I miss you every time I'm away. And uh got a few more minutes. Um, I want to know uh, what you guys have to say about Tupac and Biggie, too. You know, do you... Do you like their music, especially the young generation, uh, the generations coming up? Do you like their music? Do you want to find their killers? Make sure um, you have the book, and I hope you've read the book, The Killing of Tupac Shakur by Kathy Scott with me. We went through the whole thing. So we'll be doing Michael Jackson and the Rastafarian movement next. I love you, America. I pray for you, America. I pray for Tupac and Biggie's family. I do because I know I'm wondering why the two biggest rappers in the history of rap, the killer's not found. What's this about? That's ludicrous. Let's go, police. Get the killer. Come on. It's not fair. It's not fair at all. All right, America. Have a great week, great day. Uh, May all your dreams come true. And uh, I went to Emerson College in Boston, Massachusetts. Want to give them a shout out. Greatest school in the world. If anybody wants to go to a good school, uh, look at Emerson College. All right. See you later.